Hello, and welcome to part two of Little Women, an audio play presented by Far From the Tree Productions. I'm Joelle Waiminga, and I'm the executive director of Far From the Tree Productions, and I play the determined and passionate Amy March. Little Women was originally written in 1868 and 1869 on the stolen lands of the Algonquin Nation, specifically the Nipmuc tribe in Musketaquid, known today as Concord, Massachusetts. This play was created and recorded on colonized lands spanning the globe. These lands include the unceded traditional territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam First Nations, whose land is now called Vancouver, British Columbia, the Blackfoot peoples, including the Siksika, Kaina, and Pekani First Nations, whose land is now called Calgary, Alberta, and the Dereg, Karinga, and Darawal peoples, whose land is now called New South Wales, Australia. We would like to thank all of the incredible artists whose generous and dedicated work made this production possible. We hope you enjoy the show. riding by on his beautiful horse today. That boy is a perfect cyclops. <laughs> How dare you say so when he's got both of his eyes? I didn't say anything about his eyes, and I don't see why you need fire up when I admire his riding. Oh, <laughs> Amy, you mean a centaur. You need to be rude. It was only a lapse in Lingy, as Mr. Davis says. I wish oh. I had a little of the money that Lori spends on that horse. Why? I'm dreadfully in debt. In debt, Amy? What do you mean? I owe at least a dozen pickled limes. The girls are always trading them, and unless you want to be thought mean, you must do it too. How much will pay them off and restore your credit? A quarter would more than do it. Here's the money. Make it last as long as you can, for it isn't very much. Oh, thank you! I haven't tasted a lime this week, and I'm actually suffering for one. (laughs) Amy was rather late at school the next day, but could not resist the temptation of displaying, with pardonable pride, a brown paper parcel filled with pickled limes. She concealed this package in her desk, for her teacher, Mr. Davis, had declared them a contraband article. But the news of Amy March's delicious limes circulated very quickly. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, it's not my fault she doesn't like me. She's just jealous that I get better grades. I don't think she's jealous at all. Meg gave me a quarter, and I spent the whole thing on pickle limes. I know. Amy! I am having a party next week, and I would adore it if you could. Of course I wouldn't miss it. Oh, Mary, that's such a handsome watch. You can borrow it until recess if you like. Oh, I really shouldn't. Oh, I insist. It would look so fine on you. Oh, it's ready. <laughs> oh, Amy, how elegant you look today. I heard that you have some delicious limes. Perhaps you'd like to spend recess with me today? It might make a refreshing change. I don't see why you feel the need to be so polite all of a sudden. I thought only stuck-up people would beg for other girls' limes. (laughs) Young ladies, attention if you please. 
yes, Miss Snow, do you have a question? Mr. Davis, although I don't wish anyone to be in trouble, I thought you should know that Miss March has been hiding pickle limes in her desk. Something which you expressly banned from class. Jenny! What? <sighs> Miss March, is this true? Yes, Mr. Davis. Come to the desk. Hmm. Bring with you the limes. No, don't take them all. Is that all? N not quite. Bring the rest immediately. You are sure there are no more? I never lie, sir. So I see. Now take these disgusting things and throw them disgusting. out the window. Young ladies, you remember what I said to you a week ago. I am sorry this has happened, but I never allow my rules to be infringed. Miss March, hold out your hand. Your hand, Miss March. At the end of class, Amy rushed home with tears in her eyes and a stinging in her hand. <laughs> oh, my darling. Oh, mother. It was awful. I was so humiliated, and I never want to see that dreadful Mr. Davis again. Please don't make me go back there. It's all right, my dear. You can have a little vacation from school. But I want you to study every day with Beth. All the girls would leave and spoil his old school. I dislike Mr. Davis's manner of teaching, but you must know that you broke the rules and deserve some punishment. Do you mean you're glad I was disgraced before the whole school? I would not have chosen that way of mending fault, but I am not sure that it won't do you any good. You have a good many little gifts and virtues, but there's no need of parading them, for conceit spoils the finest genius. Now let's go and tend to that hand. Where are you going? Little girls shouldn't ask questions. Meg, do tell me. Beth is fussing over her piano, and I haven't got anything to do. And I'm so lonely. I can't, dear, because you aren't invited. You're going somewhere with Lori. I know you are. You can't go, Amy, so don't be a baby. You were whispering and laughing together last night with Lori, and you stopped when I came in. Aren't you going with him? Yes, we are. Now stop bothering. I know. You're going to the theater. Mother says I might go, and I've got enough money. You may go next week with Beth and have a nice time. But I want to go with you and Lori. Please, Meg, I'll be ever so good. Suppose we shall take her? I don't believe Mother would mind. If she goes, I shan't. And if I don't go, Lori won't like it. And it would be very rude after he invited only us. I will pay for myself, and Lori hasn't anything to do with you it. You can't sit with us for our seats are reserved. 
And you mustn't sit alone, so Lori will give you his place, and that will spoil our time. You must stay here where you are. <laughs> You'll be sorry for this, Joe March. Just see if you ain't. Aren't, Amy. <laughs> Joe and Meg had a charming time at the theater. The Seven Castles of the Diamond Lake was as brilliant and wonderful as the heart could wish. When they got home, they found Amy reading, and Joe thought that perhaps Amy had forgiven and forgotten her wrongs. There, Joe was mistaken, for the next day she made a discovery which produced a tempest. Has anyone taken my book? No. No. Amy, you've got it. No, I haven't. You know where it is, then. No, I don't. That's a lie! It isn't! I haven't got it, don't know where it is now, and don't care. You know something about it, and you better tell it once or I'll make you. Scold as much as you like, but you'll never see your silly old book again. Why not? I burned it up. <laughs> what? Yes, I did! I told you I'd make you pay for being so cross yesterday, and I have so! Wicked <laughs> girl! I'll never forgive you as long as I live! Joe, oh, Joe, Amy, stop it! Stop it, you're hurting Joe, me! Joe, please let go of her! You little beast! Joe! Joe, Joe let go of her hair! Marmy will be home soon! This is vindictive little... <laughs> Amy, go to the bedroom! Amy, that book was the pride of Joe's heart. It may have only been a half dozen little fairy tales, but she worked over them patiently. Why did you do it? She was so rude. That doesn't give you an excuse to destroy her life's work. I'm so sick of feeling like the baby. I'm just as clever as Joe, but I can never do anything that she gets to. You soon will get to. But first you must realize what you've done wrong and beg for forgiveness. I'll try, Mother. Joe? Please forgive me, Joe. I'm very, very sorry. I never shall forgive you. Joe! Please. I am really, truly sorry. Just leave, Amy. Leave! <laughs> it was not a happy evening, for though they sewed as usual while I read aloud from Edgeworth, Something was wanting, and the sweet home peace was disturbed. Joe still looked like a thundercloud the next morning, and without a word, took her skates and went out the door in search of Lori. There! She promised I could go skating next time. But she'll never let me come now. It is very hard to forgive the loss of her precious little book. But I think she might do it if you try her at the right minute. Go after them. Don't say anything till Joe has got good nature with Lori. Then take a quiet minute and just kiss her or do something kind. I'm sure she'll be friends again with all her heart. I'll try.
Meg, boil some water. We're going to get you a nice cup of tea to warm you right up. Come here, let's get this off you. Marmy? Yes, dear. Are you sure she's safe? Quite safe, dear. She's not hurt and won't even take cold, I think. Oh, you were so sensible in covering her and getting her home quickly. Lori did it all. I only let her go. Mother, if she should die, it would be my fault. It's my dreadful temper. I I try to control it. I, I think I have, and then it breaks out worse than ever. Never get tired of trying and never think it is impossible to conquer your fault. You don't know. You can't guess how bad it is. It seems as if I could do anything when I'm in a passion. Joe, dear, we all have our temptations, some far greater than yours, and it often takes us all our lives to conquer them. You think your temper is the worst in the world? But mine used to be just like it. Yours, mother. You never get angry. I'm angry nearly every day of my life, Joe. How did you learn to keep still? That, that is what troubles me. For the sharp words fly out before I know what I'm about, and the more I say, the worse I get, till it's a pleasure to hurt people's feelings and say dreadful things. My own mother used to help me, but I lost her when I was a little older than you are, and for years I had to struggle on alone, for I was too proud to confess my weakness to anyone else. I had a hard time, Joe, shed many a bitter tear over my failures, for in spite of my efforts, I never seemed to get on. Then your father came. I was so happy that I found it easy to be good. 
But by and by, when I had four little daughters around me and we were poor, then the old trouble began again, for I am not patient by nature, and it tried me very much to see my children wanting anything. What helped you then? Your father. <laughs> he never loses patience, never doubts or complains, but always hopes. He helped and comforted me, showed me that I must try to practice all the virtues I would have my little girls possess, for I was their example. It was easier to try for your sakes than for my own. Army, if I am ever half as good as you, I shall be satisfied. I hope you will be a great deal better, dear. I will try. I truly will. Are you all right? Speaking of your father reminds me how much I miss him. Yet you told him to go, and didn't cry when he went. I gave my best to the country I love. Kept my tears till he was gone. If I don't seem to need help, it is because I have a better friend, even than father, to comfort and sustain me. My child... The troubles and temptations of your life are beginning, and maybe many, but you can overcome and outlive them all if you learn to feel the strength and tenderness of your Heavenly Father as you do that of your earthly one. His love and care never tire or change, can never be taken from you, but may become the source of peace, happiness, and strength. Believe this heartily and go to God with all your little cares and hopes and sins and sorrows as freely as you come to your mother. And get some sleep. It is so nice of Sally Gardner not to forget her promise. And such lovely weather. I'm so glad of that. I wish I was going to have a fine time and wear all these nice things. Shh, Amy. It's all right. Amy. I wish you were all going, but I shall keep my adventures to tell you when I come back. Sally Gardner had invited Meg to stay with her for a fortnight and attend splendid parties and dinners where she would be introduced to society. So, in anticipation of the trip, the March sisters crowded around Meg, helping her to pick out the best and most fashionable dresses and accessories that she had. Have any of you seen my white gloves? I can't remember where I put them. I suppose I'll have to borrow a pair of mothers for the party. What did mother give you out of the treasure box? 
a pair of silk stockings, the pretty carved fan, and a lovely blue sash. Oh, that's nice. It will look nice over my new muslin skirt. Oh, it looks heavy for spring, doesn't it? I wish I could have a violet silk, but there was no time to get one made. Never mind. You always look like an angel in white. Hmm. Oh, it isn't low-necked, and it doesn't sweep enough. It doesn't I wonder if I shall enough. ever be happy enough to have real silks and lace on my caps. You said the other day you'd be perfectly happy if you could only go to the gardeners. Mm-hmm. So I did. Well, I am happy. The next day was fine, and Meg departed in style. The gardeners were very fashionable, and Meg was rather daunted at first. But they were kindly people, and soon put their guests at ease. Oh, Meg, you look an absolute picture in white. I think I will call you Daisy. May I? Daisy's a very pretty name. Oh, I cannot wait for the dance tomorrow night. I've got a new pink silk for it. What shall you wear? This one. Oh. Why don't you send home for another? I haven't got another. <clears throat> Only that? Well, where is the use of having dozens of dresses with nowhere to wear them to, I suppose? Oh, I've just the idea. I've got a sweet blue silk that I've outgrown, and you shall wear it to please me. Won't you, Daisy? Oh, you're very kind, but I don't mind my old dress. Do let me dress you up in style. You'd be a regular little beauty with a touch here and there. I suppose. <laughs> Only if you don't mind. Ooh, I shan't let anyone see you till you are done, and then we will burst upon them like Cinderella and her godmother going to the ball. <laughs> On Thursday evening, no, no, Sally shut herself up with her maid, and together they turned Meg into a fine lady. They crimped and curled her hair, polished her neck and arms with fragrant powder, and laced her into a sky-blue dress that was so tight she could hardly breathe. <clears throat> oh. oh, mademoiselle charmante, très jolie. I'm afraid to go downstairs. I feel so strange and stiff and half-dressed. I don't feel like myself. You don't look a bit like yourself, but you are very nice. Careful down the stairs. You can do it, Daisy. Presenting Miss Daisy March. <laughs> <coughs> Miss Daisy March, is it? Laurie, I didn't know you would be here. <laughs> Joe wanted me to come and tell her how you looked, so I did. What shall you tell her? I shall say I didn't know you, for you look so grown up and unlike yourself. How <laughs> absurd of you. The girls dress me up for fun, and I rather like it. Wouldn't Joe stare if she saw me? Yes, I think she would. Don't you like me so? Uh, no, I don't. Why not? I don't like fuss and feathers. You are the rudest boy I ever saw. <laughs> they are making a fool of that little girl. She has been entirely spoiled. <laughs> she is nothing but a doll tonight. Wine, huh. miss. What? Oh, yes. Yes, please. You'll have a splitting headache tomorrow if you drink much of that. I wouldn't, Meg. 
I'm not Meg tonight. I'm a doll who does all sorts of crazy things. Tomorrow I shall put away my fuss and feathers and be desperately good again. Please, forgive my rudeness and come and dance with me. I'm afraid it will be too disagreeable to you. Not a bit of it. I don't like your gown, but I do think you are just splendid. (laughs) Take care my skirt doesn't trip you up. It's the plague of my life. tell them at home about my dress tonight. They won't understand. Then why did you do it? I shall tell them, but I'd rather do it myself. I give you my word I won't. Only, what shall I say when they ask me? Just say I looked pretty well and was having a good time. I'll say the first with all my heart, but how about the other? You don't look as if you were having a good time. No. Not just now. I only wanted a little fun, but I find I'm getting tired of it all. Here comes Ned Moffat. What does he want? Oh, he put his name down for three dances. I suppose he's coming for them. (laughs) What a bore. Until tomorrow, Miss March. As spring came on, a new set of amusements became the fashion, and the lengthening days gave long afternoons for work and play of all sorts. One of these was the PC, for as secret societies were popular, it was only proper to have one. And as the girls admired Dickens, they called themselves the Pickwick Club. I now call this meeting of the Pickwick Club into order. I shall now take attendance, Augustus Snodgrass, Tracy Topman, present, Nathaniel Winkle. At your service. We have many new literary pieces that have been submitted to the Pickwick portfolio this week, and I'm sure we'll achieve much hilarity and silliness while reading them. First, a few announcements, Mr. Winkle. Right, right. All right. Mrs. Beth Bouncer will open her new assortment of Dawes Millinery next week. The latest Paris fashions have arrived and orders are respectfully solicited. (coughs) Solicited. Shut up. Order. The Dustman Society will meet on Wednesday next and parade in the upper story of the clubhouse. All members to appear in uniform and shoulder their brooms at nine precisely. Precisely. And... 
a new play will appear at the Barnesville Theatre in the course of a few weeks, which will surpass anything ever seen on the American stage. The Greek slave, or Constantine the Avenger, is the name of this thrilling drama. Thank you, Mr. Winkle. Now, the first section in our paper is the discussion of... Oh, Mr. Pickwick, if I may. (sighs) You have the floor. Mr. Snodgrass. Mr. President and gentlemen, I wish to propose the admission of a new member. One Hmm. who highly deserves the honour, would be deeply grateful for it, and would add immensely to the spirit of the club, the literary value of the paper, and be no end jolly and nice. I propose Mr. Theodore Lawrence as an honorary member of the PC. Laurie? No! No! Joe, he's a boy. We don't wish any boys. They only joke and bounce about. This is a ladies' club, and we wish to be private and proud. I'm afraid he'll laugh at our paper and make fun of us afterward. Sir, Hmm. I'll give you my word as a gentleman. Laurie won't do anything of a sort. He likes to write, and he'll give a tone to our contributions and keep us from being too sentimental, don't you see? I think the least we can do is offer him a place here and make him welcome if he comes. Hmm. <clears throat> yes, we... Hmm. Yes, we ought to do it, even if we are afraid. Thank you, Mr. Hmm. Topman. <clears throat> I say he may come if he likes. Right, capital. Oh, oh, oh. We'll take a vote. Those in favour... Bless you. Now, as there is no time like the present. Oh, Oh my God. Hello, gentlemen. (laughs) Mr. Weller. Joe, has he been in the wardrobe all along? Uh, Mr. President and ladies. (laughs) I beg pardon, gentlemen. Allow me to mm. introduce myself as Sam Weller, a very humble servant of the club. My faithful mm. friend and noble patron who has so flatteringly presented me is not oh, well, to be blamed yes. for the base stratagem of tonight. No, I planned not at it. All. And she only gave in after lots of teasing. But on my honour, I never will do so again and henceforth devote myself <laughs> to the interest of this immortal club. I merely wish to say that as a slight token of my gratitude for the honour done me, and as a means of promoting friendly relations between adjoining nations, I have set up a post office in the hedge in the lower corner of the garden with padlocks on the doors. Oh, lovely. Letters, manuscripts, books and bundles can be passed in there. Allow me to present the club key, and with many thanks for your favour, take my seat. No one ever regretted the admittance of Sam Weller, for a more devoted, well-behaved, and jovial member no club could have. The post office was a capital institution and flourished wonderfully for nearly as many strange things passed through it as through a real office. Tragedies and cravats, poetry and pickles, 
garden seeds and long letters. They never dreamed, however, of how many love letters that little post office would hold in the years to come. As the summer came and went, you could often find Joe upstairs scribbling away writing story after story, hoping that one of them might be good enough to be published in the paper. Finally, one day in October, she had a manuscript that she deemed ready, so with all her courage, she made her way into town. Joe! Oh! I didn't know you were coming into town today. Oh, yes, I was, uh... Just running some errands for Marmy. You are up to some mischief, Joe. So are you. What were you doing up in that billiard saloon? It wasn't a billiard saloon, but a gymnasium, and I was taking fencing lessons. Oh, I'm glad of that. Why? Then you can teach me. And when I play Hamlet, you can be Laertes, and we'll make a fine thing of the fencing scene. I'll teach you whether we play Hamlet or not. It will straighten you up capitally. Hey! But I don't believe that was your only reason for saying I'm glad. I was glad that you were not in the saloon, because I hope you never go to such places. It's no harm, Joe. I have billiards at home, but it's no fun unless you have good players. But you will get to liking it better and better, and will waste time and money, and grow into one of those dreadful boys. Can't a fellow have a little uh, innocent amusement now and then without losing his respectability? Well, that depends on how and where he takes it. Mr. King's son had plenty of money, but he got tipsy and gambled it all away and was altogether horrid. Do you worry about me, Joe? A little. When you look moody or discontented. You've got such a strong will, if you once get started, I'm afraid you won't be able to stop. Are you going to deliver lectures all the way home? Of course not. Why? Because if you are, I'll take the coach. If you are not, I'd like to walk with you and tell you something very interesting. Hmm. I won't preach anymore. Very well, then. It's a secret, and if I tell you, you must tell me yours. Well, I haven't got any. You know you have. <laughs> you can't hide anything. So fess up, or I won't tell. Is your secret a nice one? Oh, isn't it? And all about people you know. Come on, you begin. You'll not say anything about it at home? Not a word. And you won't tease me about it in private? I never tease. <laughs> yes, you do. You're a born wheedler. Well, thank you. Well, fire away. <sighs> well. I've left two stories with the newspaper man, and he's going to give me his answer next week. The hurrah for Miss March! The <laughs> celebrated American author! Hush! It won't come to anything, but I couldn't rest until I tried. It won't fail. Why, Joe, mm. your stories are works of Shakespeare compared to half the rubbish that is published every day. What's your secret? Play fair, Teddy, or I'll never believe you again. I know where Meg's missing glove is. Is that all? <laughs> Quite enough for the present when I tell you where it is. Tell then. Mr. Brooke has kept it. <gasps> How do you know? Saw it. Where? Pocket. All this time? Yes. Isn't that romantic? No! It's 
horrid! Don't you like it? Of course I don't! It's ridiculous! What would Meg say? You are not to tell anyone. I didn't promise. I was understood. I thought you'd be pleased. At the idea of anybody coming to take Meg away? You'll feel better about it when somebody comes to take you away. I'd like to see someone try it. So should I. I I bet I can beat you home. Oh, you will never catch me. You sure about that? (laughs) I'm quite sure. (laughs) I'm coming for you, Joe March. (laughs) Try to keep up. a horse, then I could run for miles in this splendid air and not lose my breath. (laughs) Help me find my hat. What in the world are you doing? Oh, Meg. (laughs) Um, getting leaves. And hairpins. They grow on this road, Meg. Suit combs and brown straw hats. You're running, Joe. When will you stop such romping ways? Oh, never till I'm stiff and old and have to use a crutch. <laughs> How is Mr. Brooke, Laurie? I hope you're not causing him too much trouble. Uh, when have I ever caused trouble? Why do you care how Mr. Brooke is? No reason. And where have you been calling all so fine? At the gardener's. Sally was telling me all about Belle Moffat's wedding. It was very splendid, and they have gone to spend the winter in Paris. Do you envy her? I'm afraid I do. I'm glad of it. Why? Because if you care much about riches, you will never go and marry a poor man. I shall never go and marry anyone. Meg! Joe! Come quick! What is it, Amy? We got a telegram this afternoon. A a telegram? Papa is very ill. No. No. Please come quick. Hurry. Marmy? Mother, what happened? Here, read it. Mrs. March, your husband is very ill. Come at once. S. Hale, Blank Hospital, Washington. Is Papa going to be okay? Shh, my dear, there's no time for tears. Lori. Papa. Yes, ma'am? Send a telegram saying I will come at once. The next train goes early in the morning. I will take that. Also, leave a note at Aunt March's. Of course. And I am sure Mr. Brooke would be more than happy to accompany you. Thank you, Lori. Joe, go into town and get these things. I must go prepared for nursing. Beth, yes, go mother. and ask Mr. Lawrence for a few bottles of old wine. Amy, go and get the black trunk. And Meg, come and help me collect my things. Oh, I should take as many bandages as I can. I will put together food for the journey. Will you kiss Father for me for luck? Tell Papa he must come home, for I have so much to tell him. I'll leave early, so I must say goodbye tonight. Come sit with me before I go. Where is Joe? She's been gone for hours. I don't know where Joe is. I haven't seen her. Joe! There you are! 
We were getting worried, my dear. <laughs> there. That's my contribution toward bringing Father home. $25. My dear, where did you get it? I hope you didn't do anything rash. Uh, I didn't beg or borrow or steal it. I earned it. I only sold what was my own. See? <gasps> Your beautiful hair. It's gone. Oh, beauty. My dear girl, there was no need of this. You don't look like my Joe anymore, but I love you dearly for it. it. It doesn't affect the fate of the nation, but it will be good for my vanity. It will do my brain good to have that mop taken off. Oh, thank you, Joe. It warms my heart to know how willingly you sacrificed your vanity, as you call it, to your love. Of course, Mother. Come, let's be together yes, before Joe I... Joe comes with me. Joe? Joe, what is it? Are you crying about father? No. What then? My... My hair. Oh. I'm not sorry. I'd do it again tomorrow if I could. It's only the vain, selfish part of me that goes and cries in this silly way. <laughs> Did I wake you? Oh, I can't sleep. I'm so anxious. Let's think of something pleasant. I tried it. Felt wider awake than ever. What did you think of? Handsome faces. Eyes, particularly. <laughs> What color do you like best? Brown. Sometimes. Blue are lovely. <laughs> oh, Meg. Thank you for listening to part two of Little Women. Tune in next Saturday for part three. For more information about Far From the Tree Productions or to leave a donation, you can visit our website at www.farfromthetreeproductions.com. Subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all future projects, or you can follow us on Instagram at farfromthetreeproductions. We'll see you next week.